When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you creative? That's a rhetorical question, because of course you are. A creative is anyone who makes something from nothing. Creativity is everywhere and in everyone. And that means you. So what's been stopping your inner creative from bursting out? Probably fear. Fear is part of creating something. It's a real bee. But don't worry, we'll help you get through that. This podcast will be your guide to claim your creativity, redefine your relationship with fear, and build a new life centered around creative expression. You're going to learn tools from people who have found ways to manage life's ups and downs by turning their experience into purpose. Think of this podcast as your very own creative community. This is Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. It's Lauren here with another creative check-in, and this week's creative check-in is about what your dream world looks like. So I tweeted out earlier this week because I was really bogged down this past week, and honestly, I was super down and just too busy for words. I couldn't get myself together. I couldn't get my brain together, and I just wanted to go back to living in a fantasy world like I did when I was little. (laughs) And so I tweeted this week, why can't we all live in a dream world? Reality is so boring. And I just tweeted it out, let it go, forgot about it. And then I got back to Twitter later that day. And one of my followers who I'd never really talked with named DJ Peeper said, what would your dream world look like? And this kind of blew me away because I just kind of said that you know, as a throwaway. But then it got me to thinking, what would my ideal world look like? So this is what I wrote back. Singing, dancing, no worries. Everyone loves each other. Everyone can eat whatever they want. No one ever worries about money. Peace on earth. Everyone is free to be exactly who they want to be. No murderers, politicians with pure hearts, remembering the love of God every minute. I was brought to tears after I sent this out because I realized, I mean, obviously I can't control whether there are murderers. But almost all of these other things, I can at least have some part in. I can sing every day. I can dance every day. I can not be worried. I can make sure I love everyone and that everyone in my life loves me. I can eat whatever I want. I mean, obviously, like, you know, don't take that to an extreme, Lauren, because your last name, Lo Grasso, does mean the fat in Italian. So let's keep it safe. But, you know, I can enjoy my life with my food. I don't have to be obsessed with it. I don't need to worry about money. I can be conscious of it, but I don't need to put anxious energy into that area of my life. I can expect abundance. I could do my part for peace on earth. Everyone's free to be exactly who they want to be. I can do I can start that by being myself. I can definitely not murder someone. And <laughs> I can vote for politicians who I believe to have pure hearts, and I can certainly remember the love of God every minute. But I've been so busy and so wrapped up and so in my head and consumed by my anxiety that I haven't been realizing how much control I actually have over my own life. And, you know, I can I can preach that all day long. I can consciously understand it myself. But unless I'm reminding myself and you're reminding yourself every minute that we have a lot more control over our emotions and our lives than we would like to think, it's it's really hard to live it. We need to constantly remind ourselves of that. And I just, I appreciated DJ Peeper's inquiry because it really made me think and dig deeper. What are the false stories my mind has told me that are preventing me from living in my ideal world? And how can I overcome those lies? How can I use radical self-love, Gala Darling's method, and if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out, to start to achieve 
my deepest desires and my deepest dreams. And a big theme of today's episode, the guest today talks about how one of the most important things for a creative is the ability to be yourself. How can I dig deeper and shed some of those false stories so I can really be present and be myself? So this week, I would really like for you to think about that. What does your dream world look like? And how much control do you have over whether you get that dream world, even if it's in a small way, and then start inching step by step to get closer to that dream world. That's what I'm doing right now. I will report back on how it goes for me. And I hope you do the same. And um, also just, you never know where your inspiration is going to come from. Did I think someone named DJ Peeper was going to give me a quote that made me sob hysterically and then want to change my life? No, but inspiration comes from everywhere. And it turns out DJ Peeper has an incredible amount of wisdom. I actually highly recommend you go give him a follow. So now to the creative of the week. She is community member Dana Duruk. Dana is an avid listener of the show and a friend from when I first moved to LA. We did a couple of awesome Shakespeare productions together, which I wish you could have seen. I wanted to feature her because she is an incredible actor, writer, foodie, podcaster, and she is one of the most unbelievable creative allies out there. Dana is constantly going to fellow creative shows, posting about other creatives, sending encouraging messages, speaking out about how fabulous other people's projects are. And when I think about how supportive she's been of this podcast, I could honestly break into tears. She's wonderful. And so I think it's high time someone did the same for her and threw a spotlight on her. So I encourage you to check out her awesome podcast, which I am a subscriber of and a big fan of, Foodie Parlor, her food blog, One Damn Recipe, her social media at Dana underscore what, and her website, danadirect.com. Okay, now to today's guest. Hannah Burner is a podcaster, comedian, producer, and reality star. Best known for her work on her podcasts, Burning in Hell, Bravo's Summer House, and Betches. Hannah's creative journey started from the time she was a little girl, but was largely suppressed and repressed by an unexpected opponent, tennis. From the time she was little, Hannah played tennis with the singular goal of becoming a professional player someday. She received a scholarship to play at the University of Wisconsin and was on her way to living the life she always dreamed of. But at age 22, she realized she had gotten trapped in her dream and that what she thought she wanted when she was little wasn't really her heart's desire anymore. So she made an incredibly brave choice and decided not to go pro in order to pursue a different life and really just being herself. Having built much of her identity around tennis, in her early 20s, she had to rebuild from square one. And she was successful. It took a little time, but these days she has her own podcast, a TV show, and an incredibly funny and honest social media brand. She says creativity saved her life. If you told me that I'd be on a TV show in two years when I'm sitting in Vegas, miserable, I would be like, that's a joke. But the world is just controlled by how creative your mind can be. Like, if you can think it, you can do it. And like, I honestly believe that wholeheartedly. And if you think it from your own authentic voice, not someone else's, it's what you're meant to do. I wanted to bring Hannah on the show for many reasons. First, I am deeply obsessed with her podcast, Burning in Hell. Highly recommend. But also because she is a great example that you can always reinvent your life and career and that the most important part of being creative is the ability to fully be yourself and be present. From our conversation, you'll learn how to rediscover yourself after shedding an old dream, how to heal wounded family relationships, tips for manifesting, how to stay present, and how to start learning to love yourself. Now here she is, Hannah Burner. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm more excited than when I interviewed DJ Khaled. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said no, to me. No, way more excited because you're my friend. Like, I, I feel as if I know you already. Also, I'm not going to lie. I don't listen to most podcasts I go on and I listen to yours. Aww. I listen to a couple episodes. Thank you for doing that. I'm just saying. I appreciate it. I'm not it. trying to suck up. I'm just speaking the truth. No, no. I appreciate your honesty. I mean, you're always honest. And like, <laughs> I feel aligned with you for so many reasons. One, we are both Italian. 
Yes. And we both went to college in the Midwest. I grew up there too, but I know you went to University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we both got inspired to get into audio by Taylor Strecker. Oh my god. Yes. I started working at Sirius because of her. I listened to her show. I'm like, if she could do it, maybe I could do it too. That's crazy. Taylor yes. is, you'll meet people in your life that you think are just, you know, random people that you're going to meet. And then you realize that they're going to connect you to so many things. Yeah. You never know who that person's going to be, but it's like, that's why you have to be open to the connections around you. Very true. And she has an incredible community. Oh, and that's yeah. how I found you. Yeah. And I, the yeah. joke with Taylor was that their community at first hated me because I ate a scone. Yeah. Into um, the mic. Into the mic. And like, I don't even know how much it was actually into the mic, but it became like a bigger joke than it was. And they could have immediately rejected me and they kind of did, but Taylor gave me another chance and I kind of spun it like, hey guys, I know we experienced scone gate together. <laughs> so I had to make fun of myself, but like, it was cool that Taylor and I have been through. It hasn't been perfect, and right. she still gave me a chance. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, but that's what creativity is. It's never perfect. No. it is, And it's like committing to that imperfection. But the other thing is that you had to really reinvent yourself in your early 20s. You had this track you thought you were going to be on. You went toward tennis your whole life. I mean, did you say you started doing it when you were 12? I, mean, I started playing tennis when I was like three or four. Okay. And by eight, I had like a real coach. Okay. And then by like 11 or 12, I was ranked nationally, which is insane because now that I'm 27, being 12, I was a fetus. <laughs> like a literal, I'll see 12 year olds nowadays and I'm like, how was I traveling, putting pressure on myself to win? I mean, some girls when they're 12 right now have like full face of makeup, but that's a whole other issue. Um, but <laughs> I, it's crazy, like the steps in your life. And at that time, tennis was everything to me. And I would argue, let's get immediately deep. When I was 10 years old, I experienced 9-11 in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So the world was like kind of a scary place to me. 10 is when you first realize like, oh, life is a thing. You're not just like floating around waiting for your parents. You're like, right. oh, I'm I'm a human in this world that's scary. And I think I got addicted to tennis because I could control it. Like I can, if I won, people would get happy. I could practice every day. I was getting positive attention from it. And I didn't have to deal with like the issues of life. I just had to focus on tennis and people were happy. But over time, like I put way too much pressure on my tennis to make me happy. And I also was a kid who like loved acting. I loved art. I was like that kid, if you gave me like um, an easel to paint on, you wouldn't hear from me for five hours because I'd get so into my art. (laughs) But I really suppressed that side to me for a long time. People would argue that I was a creative player, if anyone knows tennis. There's no rules of how you, where you hit the ball and how you hit the ball. So I would like kind of do things out of the box. I would slice, I would hit top spin. I was kind of wild and coaches didn't always like it. And I never like fully realized that I didn't really accept myself in the tennis community. I never really felt like I belonged. I always felt like I was sillier and more distracted, even though I loved it and was more committed than anyone. But like, just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's the right thing for you to do. Mm. which is so weird to say because everyone's like, well, what are you good at? Isn't that what adults say when you're young? What are you good at? But it doesn't really matter what you're good at. It's what creates a fire inside you. So how did you realize that disconnect between I'm good at this, but it doesn't really bring me joy? With sports, there's this whole energy of like, it's about the hustle, the grind, like you got to be in pain. So like I didn't understand that I wasn't happy. I thought this is what you have to do to be a professional athlete. And like my family loves sports. So I was convinced that like happiness came from playing a game for a living. Like you don't want to be sitting at a desk. You want to be playing a game and getting paid. Which you kind of are doing now. Well, it's, it, <laughs> it really does. And tennis, like I love the attention which I think is okay. There's some people in this world that don't like attention. Some people do. It doesn't make you an asshole. But I was getting, I always had bad anxiety, but I thought it was just because I was under like so much pressure with like sponsorships, my parents. And then I went to college. I got a full scholarship. And then I was like, you know what? I'm sick of torturing myself. I'm sick of it. And then I was lost for a good four years. Yeah. How did you deal with that discomfort? Because you left without having a net to fall into. You're like, well, this doesn't make me passionate, but I don't know what my passion is. I was 22. A lot of my friends were going pro, which was my dream. I played a little professionally at 16, but I just was like, 
look, competing every weekend, I don't want that to be my life anymore. I, it didn't make me happy, but it took so long to realize it didn't make me happy because yeah. winning made me happy. But towards the end, it was more like losing made me depressed and winning, I was numb. Like if I won, I would be like, thank God. And if I lost, I'd be like, I hate myself. I'm not worthy. I wasn't taking care of myself because I was pissed at myself all the time or feeling guilty for losing. And like, that's just what all I knew. So I didn't know I had bad anxiety or depression. It was just my grind. And then when you win, people treat you like you're so great. So you assume that everything in your life is perfect when you win. So your whole self-worth was tied up in this entity and you walked away from the entity on Mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. How did you get the courage to do that? I think that I knew deep down. I was very bad at listening to my inner voice because I had so many voices um, not psychopathic voices, but like, <laughs> like your parents, your tennis <laughs> coaches, yeah, just yeah. telling me what to do. And I would always be like, you want me to jump? How high? And that's what me, I, people wanted you to be coachable. That was like the thing to be. Mm. I realized I hate being put in a box and it was like insane for someone like me to be doing that. But I learned that there was a little voice that was like, do you remember when you were younger and you loved acting or you like loved doing projects? Like I really loved it. And I was like, I feel like unlike some of these other players, I have another side to me that I haven't really delved into. And my senior year of college, I started to do some sports broadcasting because like my final year to keep my scholarship, you have to um, work and some people would work at the library or work at the cafe. And I was like, can I work in the communications department? And I started doing like the basketball games and writing highlight reels because I do know sports, but I got to add some like entertainment performativeness into Mm -hmm. it. And I learned how to edit. That's where I learned how to edit. And then after college, I remember talking to my mom and being like, I want to do like my own like host series thing. Like I love interviewing. I always loved interviewing people. Apparently when I was six years old, (laughs) I wanted to like write my own newspaper and I'd go around with my pad and paper and like there was like a waiter and I wanted to interview him of why he wanted to be a waiter. And the dude was like, I don't want to be a waiter. And I like, tell me about your dreams. Come on. (laughs) But I always was fascinated with learning about people and talking to people. And I loved putting myself out there and performing. But even though that little voice happened, I I left tennis, but then I was back in sales, which is pretty much like my dad loved tennis. My dad loved sales. So I just was like back on that same place of like competition and I was selling. I was making a lot of money. But again, in this in this like competitive world of like, if you make a sale, you're happy. If not, you're miserable. And I'm like, I found myself in the same place as tennis because I didn't listen to that voice that like was actually so right. I thought it was a crazy voice. I thought it was like, okay, calm down, crazy. So then I quit sales and I went to marketing, which turns out was even more boring because there wasn't even like a high or a low to it. Everyone needs to have a dark moment. I love when my friends have dark moments, like moments that they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you're here. This is when a change happens. I was in Las Vegas at a, I was working marketing for a t-shirt company and like the owner of the company didn't give me any creative freedom. Like I would send him ideas and he'd be like, no. And I'd be like, ah. He's like, he's like, and he's like, shut up. He literally was like, just answer customer service emails. And I was like, why? <laughs> why do I hate this? So I was in Las Vegas for a trade show and it was like 1 a.m. And I was just putting in orders with my fr- my friend who worked there. And I, I was looking at old YouTube videos of me at Wisconsin doing sports broadcasting. And I was like, this is what I need to do. And I literally just had the word video in my head and started manifesting it. Just video. I didn't know where or how, but I just was like, I need to be involved with video. So I quit my job because I got a one month opportunity to like work as a brand ambassador for this fashion line. They paid me like four grand that month. And I was like, I'll do that. I have some savings, but at least I had something set up. And in that month, I started applying to free internships. I'm 25. And my friends are kind of like a little judgy at this point. They're like, what are you, what's Hannah doing? Especially ones that are like already in finance and stuff. But I had this like long term vision. And I realized like the longer I didn't go towards where my heart was, another day goes by that I'm not being authentic to myself. So I got a free internship <laughs> at this sports college website where I was doing video production, but I really She's was putting it in quotes just so you yeah, know. I literally was giving them like stats for their videos. I wasn't touching the editing tools or anything, but then 
if anyone watches Summer House, there's this guy, Jordan Roy, on the show. He's pretty um, iconic character right now, <laughs> some would say. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, yeah. So anyway, but he's a special guy in my life because we had done a tennis photo shoot together. And I had mentioned to him I want to do video. Now, was this tennis photo shoot back when you were doing tennis or at that point when you're 25? This was when I was like 24, 25 because I lost my like excitement to work out. It was almost depressing for me to work out because I'm like, I'm not training to win anything. And you might have associated it with pain too. Oh my God. I would go to the gym after tennis and like I would just cry and have to go back to my apartment. Yeah. (laughs) Like it was a really dark lost time. But I never felt like completely lost. I knew I was like in a searching mode. So I told Jordan, I want to be in video. And this mofo (laughs) follows up with me randomly through LinkedIn and goes, hey, Betches is looking for a video producer with five years experience. And I go, (laughs) I have literally four months experience and I'm doing a free internship right now. He goes, just send them a funny video self-tape with your phone. So I made a video called How a Betch Goes to the Gym. And just between me and you, I followed them, but I didn't like understand their brand. But I kind of just like used my humor. I could tell they were like, I could tell like what the Betchy vibe was. And they loved my video and they called me in and they were like, you literally have no experience. But I came in with like 30 video ideas and I was like, well, do you want me to do these? And they were like, yes. So I basically was like, first of all, I don't believe in taking jobs that you're qualified for. Second of all, when you're not qualified, they can't say no to ideas. Like come in with a, if it's for marketing, a marketing plan, come in with like how you'd actually do it. So they're, cause they're not liking you for your resume. They're going to like you for what kind of action you can do. So I started with them for $300 a week and I was making graphic videos for them, which is where I kind of learned, cause they didn't want any faces in the videos. So how did you do that? So I made graphic videos based on like their articles and I would, I learned their humor and I actually really started to learn my own humor voice of like how to make written jokes by like making these one minute videos about like, um, (laughs) I did like the top 10 ugly hot guys in Hollywood or like I would do, you know, four reasons why you should, it was very just like silly fun list stuff. So I love journalism and I loved writing and I was really getting to know their voice. And then one day they were like, you need to start doing like SNL type stuff. Like we want to do that. And I'm like, okay. I literally had my own DSLR camera and my mom and we like tried to shoot a video and they were like, this is terrible. I didn't take it at all as like, I didn't feel like losses in tennis. It seemed more like a boot camp. I called it Betch's boot camp where they were just like, kind of like teaching me what they wanted. And I I was just saw everything as a learning experience. That's important with like creative criticism to like not take things to ego. But if you are a person who's super sensitive or even ego driven, Mm -hmm. what's your advice on how to get to the headspace you're in? Because you had already had that kind of like brutality put upon you as a child. So you had that foundation. But for someone who doesn't like... And I'm highly sensitive. Yeah. I grew up being like, I'm sensitive. I think because I went into the industry being without an ego. Like, yeah. And without expectation maybe. Because you didn't have any attachment to it. Yes. And I'm going to say fast forward to like Mm -hmm. two years later when I would get certain feedback that I disagreed with sometimes you have to just own it and be like they think differently than me and mm-hmm. that's okay because I know my shit was funny okay because funny is so subjective and I've had people who will be like that's not funny but then I'll send it to if you send something to 10 people two might think it sucks eight people think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen and you have to understand that um and you have to understand like it's like people's opinions on you in general. It's coming from their own life experiences. Um, but I really think like having confidence in your shit, because if you're too influenced by other people's opinions of your work, what is your work? Just other people's opinions that you change for. I mean, that's what f- I think makes my humor work is because I'm not trying to be what like stereotypically is funny or what you see out there. It's so unique. Thank you. It's yeah. more like people are like, how do you make it or how do you go viral? It's by being authentically yourself because... People, I think, even will see my tweets and even they, though they never heard me speak, they know it's from my voice. And that's what makes things interesting. Like, there's so many tweets out there that I feel like people are just trying to be like a, a cookie cutter of yeah. what funny is. And it's like, no, your own unique voice is so much funnier and weird. Like, finding your weirdness will make you go viral or make you be successful in every creative field. Also with creativity, 
you have to live life. Like, you can't just sit at home in your apartment, like, trying really hard to think of funny <laughs> shit. You have to live. And, for example, I was on a flag football league, which was a terrible idea. I, like, almost got injured every time, and no one passed the ball to me, and I would get pissed after every game. <laughs> and there were no cute guys on it, so, like, wasn't worth it. But one guy was a wedding videographer, and I was like, hey, can you shoot a one-minute video for me? And he goes, and he's like, yeah, I paid him 50 bucks. And we shot a video called When Bay FaceTimes You. It's the first video I ever did for Betches that I was in. And it's like your crush calls you and you have your headphones in and you go, hey, when's, and you're no makeup. You look like you just woke up from a nap in pajamas. And you're like, one sec, I can't find my headphones, even though the headphones are there. So then you leave. And it was like this quick cut up of me, like putting on highlighter and makeup and curling my hair and putting on lipstick and then getting a ring light and putting it there and then being like, <laughs> hey, babe, what's up? So it hits a million views. Wow. And they're like, can you do this three times a week? Did I think I could? Probably not. But I literally just said yes, got back to the drawing board. And the rest is kind of history. For the next two years, I built a video team of like four people around me and we would make at least like two to three videos a week. We started getting brands involved and they would charge them like a shit ton of money because they had six million followers for me to do branded videos with Dunkin' Donuts and um, Three Olives and Netflix. And it was just like the most incredible experience. And then you know, nothing stays the same, obviously. Um, I'm giving you my whole life story. I love okay, it. Please okay, keep go. going. Um, <laughs> you're taking it all in. <laughs> then I got a call from Bravo because I was... And what month are we in right now? What month, we're what year? We're in, I'm going to say, May of 2018. Okay. So they're basically like, hey, we know you know the cast. We're looking for like some new cast members for Summer House. And I was kind of like, whatever. It's a cool platform. I love Bravo. And I love going to the Hamptons, growing up in the city as a New Yorker, native New Yorker. Then like eight interviews later, they said, I'm doing it. And then like next thing you know, shit got more complicated. I mean, I had my dream job at Betches. I was making videos to make people laugh that's all I wanted to do and it was coming really easily to me and I also was if we're gonna <laughs> I was dating a stand-up comedian right. who was like very successful and he gave me so much confidence he didn't know it <laughs> but because he had intimacy issues uh -huh. but um <laughs> all we would do is just like instead of being in love was like joke together and try to make each other laugh and he was like hysterical and I'd also see how his brain worked I was fascinated with his brain he was a comedic genius and also, he would, I'd see him prepare for shows. I'd see him practice for shows. And I think subconsciously, I was just taking it all in. And I just felt like I belong in this world. Like, not that I wanted to be a stand-up necessarily, but I was like, I'm... You're a performer. I, yeah, and I felt, I felt connected to him. I guess it wasn't in the love way that I thought it was. Like, I thought it was my person for a second. And then I was like, no, I think creatively, I'm just really inspired by you. Yeah, I think he was maybe the catalyst that allowed you to open up your life and your brain to this possibility that you've wanted since you were a little girl. Oh, yeah. And you've been hiding away from it. Because I remember I listened to your podcast religiously. Mm -hmm. And there was a point you said on it, well, when I started doing video producing, I thought I need to be a producer because... I shouldn't be in the spotlight. Maybe I don't deserve to be in the spotlight. I should just produce. And so I think maybe by seeing him and like through osmosis, you kind of soaked in that performer lifestyle. Through the sex. I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah, it was really, it was through the cum. No. <laughs> it was like Space Jam. Yeah. I was like taking his talent. Exactly. Well, they do say that women absorb energy when we have sex. Oh. Yeah. We take it, except if you're on your period. I just found this out. Oh, yeah, breaking. I, he actually caused a lot of anxiety in me too because I realized that I was with him because I, I kind of felt alive for the first time since tennis. Like his, he was like successful and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm around talent again who were like admired and I felt like special. And then when it, I realized he was wrong for me, I started having an anxiety attack and I think it's because deep down I was worried that like I would lose that like feeling of, of, like talent again of like being involved in something big and cool and entrepreneurial and then I realized like it was inside me the whole time I didn't need a man I didn't need like an opportunity like that and it really I think for any creatives like it's inside of you it's not through like tons of workshops or like tons of crystals like obviously those things help but like it's there you just have to get all the other voices out of the way 
to hear like what you authentically want to do. I want to get back to your path, but I think this is like an important little side street to go on. So fear is a huge thing that I talk about on the show and something that I think a lot of listeners, I myself am dealing with and working through. It's really crippled me in the past. And so in order to go toward what you're doing now, you overcame a shit ton of fear of yourself, really. Mm -hmm. If someone's in that situation where they hear the voice, they've got that gut feeling, they know what they're supposed to be doing, but they're crippled by fear, what's your advice to them? I think that you have to understand the why because the voices that are telling you to be scared, they're not you. They're like an annoying roommate and you can't align with them. Like they're your anxiety. That's what I first learned is when you're hearing these fear scare voices, don't identify with them. Be like, okay, this is my anxiety and then try to understand why. If I was younger and I was getting these anxiety thoughts, I used to identify with them with tennis, but instead I'd be like, okay, you're getting anxiety right now because you feel pressure because your parents are paying a lot of money for your tennis. And then you like disassociate. It doesn't become just like, I'm a scared person. Like, I'm scared. No, you're good, but you have some thoughts that are scaring you right now that you actually can choose to not identify with. And I do think that like, In life, some things don't work out because it's not your path, but sometimes your brain's just playing tricks on you. And to be honest, I think tennis, my brain was playing tricks on me, but I also like wasn't enjoying it. So I wasn't putting in the effort to like really dig deep of like why I was struggling. Instead, I just was like a scared person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of other people's voices in your head the whole time. And when you're young, you get easily influenced. Yeah. And even at at this age, it's like, like you were saying, if you ask too many people for their advice about your life, you start to forget what your own voice sounds like. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. And once you're aligned with your voice, your mind becomes like a happy home. It becomes like a place where, like, for example, I could overthink like coming here and being really nervous about how this could go. This could go a million ways. We could end, you know, getting in a huge fight and strangling each other. But sometimes it's literally (laughs) (laughs) and most podcasts I do end that way. No, but it's more like understanding like, no, your head is a happy place and you can manifest your future of what you want. Like really your thoughts create energies that affect everyone around you. And I think the craziest thing about my path is that once I started being in front of the camera, my heart felt so calm. I did my first live comedy show last week at Caroline's. I know, on Broadway. On Broadway. I did my first joke. My heart was beating really fast. And then like people laughed. And I'm telling you, my heart dropped to the pace of like me getting coffee with a friend the rest of the time. And I cried to my mom after because I was like, in tennis, the girls would talk and they'd be like, yeah, I get nervous. But then once I get on the court, I'm fine. I would never be fine. I'd get on the court and I'd always be in my head and I'd always be fucked up. And I'd win a lot because I was talented. But I was like, this shouldn't be how hard it shouldn't be this hard. And sometimes it's your body just telling you like, hey, this isn't actually where it's like a fish out of water. Like they'll flop around, but they really just want to swim. <laughs> I don't know what that metaphor is. No, but. no, it's true because you're not putting yourself where you belong. Mm-hmm. And you finally, I mean, there's a difference between nerves and crippling fear. And, and, and you were having the crippling fear and the anxiety with tennis. But this was like, you were nervous, excited, and they're right next to each other on the yeah. emotional scale. And you got out on the stage and you're like, oh, this is my home. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's also like in relationships. I haven't found the right thing yet, but I feel like with the right guy and the right friends, you feel like you're at home with them and you get excited, but you don't get like a crippling, crazy vibe. Like, you know, when your friend's dating someone new and she's like obsessing of when he's texting her and you're like, I don't think this is right. I think the right guy makes you feel at home, but you still have that excitement to be with him, but you're not like, it's not like a a flame that's like burning your house down. Right. It's not that like out of control love feeling, which can be really sad satisfying, but it's not sustainable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like that fire will burn your house down. You want like a candlelit yeah, just romantic like subtle. dinner, subtle. <laughs> <laughs> but these are all just like being able to identify how you feel. And I think tennis also as an athlete, you're taught to numb how you feel. Mm. Like a coach is like, you ready? And you just have to say yes. Or like, you nervous? Nope. You sore? Nope. Okay, get out there. Let's go. You're so vulnerable now, though. So how did you turn that part of your brain off and like start taking off that armor you'd built up since you were literally three years old to do what you do now? I feel like I realized that because I survived, I was meant to talk about it. 
I think that a lot of obstacles we face, instead of be- getting in your head about it, being more like, oh, this is going to be so cool for my story one day. You see people like waitressing all the time. It's like, oh, I don't want to keep waitressing. And I'm like, but imagine when you make it, being able to say like you waitressed for seven years before like you got on Netflix. Like so that's, true. That's like it's part of your story. It's part of the grind. And that's, I think, my athletic side for me of being like, yeah, I used to run a mile every morning <laughs> at 5 a.m. Like that's insane. But it's like all these things we go through are part of our story. And I think I realized that there was something unique about me that I like to say I'm kind of like a sociopath and that with embarrassment, even when I was little, it's not that I like it. I just like don't feel it. I don't, it takes so much me to get embarrassed. I think my dad is really funny to always try to embarrass me. And I just thought he was funny. I just, I would go on the court and be so nervous to serve. I would serve underhand when I was playing an international tournament and I was is like Is that bad? Yeah. Serving underhand is basically like like worse than a beginner. Okay. But it was like all I felt I could do at that moment. So I've embarrassed myself in so many ways. So I'm kind of numb to it and I feel like because of that in me, which is such a weird people are like I want to be funny or beautiful. I'm like I don't get embarrassed. So let's use that skill to like put myself out there. And that's where I saw, going back to reality TV, when we were casting, I'm not supposed to talk about casting, but I don't give a fuck. They were like, I was telling them about myself and I said, I've gone through depression, anxiety. I feel like women have to be shown being funny and like in roles of power, like producers or comedians. Um, And I'm athletic. I played sports. And I'm like, that's me. And if you don't want that, that's okay. But if you want me, like, that's all I'm going to be. And they were like, yeah, that's what we want. So they accepted me for me. And then I was like, okay, I have this platform now to like show all of my bullshit. And if I can affect one person in a positive way, that'll be cool. So that's like how I went into the show. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm going on a show. I need to start something that I can monetize for myself. Brilliant. And that's how I was actually talking to this is so random, but Teresa Judice's lawyer is a friend of a friend, and I've like called him for some advice. And it's not Judice. I it's just not listened Judice. to that. Oh episode. my god! I um the first time I interviewed her at Betches, I just butchered her last name because I'm Italian, and yeah, I, I thought I it just, was Judice too. I think it's actually it's Judice. Oh wait, no, it's isn't it's Gwid, it's Guidice. Oh fuck! Basically, they they say it in an American way, and I tried to say it in the Italian way, yeah. and I fucked it up. <laughs> And she was like, that's not my name. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. But then I don't get embarrassed very easily. So yeah. I was just laughing it off. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like my thing. I just can't pronounce anyone's name. So he was like, look, you got to you gotta find something that like you're really passionate about long term. That That's your passion project. Because the show, as a producer, it's very difficult for me to like do my thing and then have no creative control over editing or any of and that. And they're taping you 24-7. Like, I go to sleep with the red dot staring at yeah. me filming. Like That's I, no control. No, like, I could fart in my sleep and national television has it. And I'm like, cool. You just have to let go. Yeah. Which, I'm a control, like, type A person, but that's the world test in you. So, long story short, I wanted, I'd wanted to start a podcast for a while. And I was like, oh, this is the universe door opening. And I started this thing called Burning in Hell. And it's funny, the name literally, just, I don't even remember thinking of a name. It just came to me. Sometimes that happens with creativity. Mm-hmm. Things, you're, it's just it's like, I believe it's a God whispering in your ear <laughs> or like your creative angels being like, hey, try this. But that's yeah. why, because if you don't, like if you didn't do Burning in Hell, not that someone would have done a podcast called Burning in Hell, but they might have done a podcast with the same concept because I think like the creative gods pick different people to whisper it in their ear and whoever is ready is the one that gets to do it. That is so interesting. I've never thought of it that Creative way. consciousness. I love that. Yeah. And I had wanted to talk because at Betches, I met, I've been meeting a lot of like weird celebrities and I always had How do you define weird celebrities? Like reality TV oh, or it. like YouTube stars or like podcast stars or just like like random CB list people who like nowadays anyone can get famous from anything. Like you can like eat ice and do ASMR and you have like millions of followers, but that's a whole nother podcast. We should do a podcast like that. (laughs) And that's the second half of this podcast. I'm eating ice. It's really good. I love this ice. Creative ice. Um, So I decided that I – People look up to these famous people thinking that like, oh, if I could get fame and money, that'll bring happiness. And I realized that these famous people are 
most of the time like more fucked up than the average person because they like need that fame or that affirmation and just how like it's just not like that and I'm sick of the show-off culture of Instagram and I just was like I'm gonna create a podcast that I can like talk to people about the stuff they're embarrassed about, the stuff that they hate about themselves, the stuff that gets them anxious, their fears, what keeps them up at night, and then how they cope with it. But I wanted to get people that people look up to, you know, because they actually – like I learned like Ryan Serhant, who is – I love him. Who is a psychopath. <laughs> but everyone looks up to him because he's an incredible salesperson. He's a great on-air guest Great on-air guest. Yeah. But he basically was like – if I'm not selling, I want to kill myself. And I'm like, oh, that's how you have that drive. Like people are way more complex than just being like, oh, that guy got lucky. He got on a TV show. So I just feel like people, I just am fascinated with people's minds. And because I'm so vulnerable with myself, I believe that I have a way of like connecting, getting people to be vulnerable with themselves. And it's this weird mix of like, I'm good at getting people to open up and I'm good at talking about my own shit. And it's been this incredible journey, but that started to pop off before the show. Cause I don't want people to think that like I just did it to get money from the show. Cause like, let's be honest, podcast is not like I'm not there yet where I'm making money. I started it so I would be like pretty like official before the show aired. Mm-hmm. And then I got fired from Betches right kind of when sh- stuff was going really well. Like my podcast was doing really well on the side. I had filmed Summer House already. And my Instagram started to do well because my Twitter started to blow up. These are all before Summer House. This was just like me being so authentically myself and the universe being like, yeah, girl. Yeah, keep going. And these are things that like I had no goals. Like I never once was like, I want to go viral on Twitter or like I want to hit this many followers. Where tennis, I was always like, I want this ranking. I want to beat that girl. Where in this field, I literally was just obsessed with the quality of my work. I was obsessed with the journey and all I wanted to do was make people laugh. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just knew that every morning I was going to try to create something. And it's crazy that when you get in that purely like non-result oriented state, the results come in, come and go and you never get too high or low from it because you're so into creating and having fun. Like this is what brings me happiness, this moment with you like talking and I think that's why results will come and go and you can't you can never control results. You really can't. I know. It's so true. I mean, I really I've been having a hard time with that lately and I I got a lot of inspiration from one of the podcasts of yours that I listened to because you're talking about being on the charts. Mm. And you're like, "I'm on the charts now, but if I'm not, fine. It's going to be okay. I'm going to keep doing this podcast cuz I love it." And I'm, I can be there about like 60% of the time, mm-hmm. but I was on the charts for like two weeks and all I could think about was what's going to happen if and when it goes away. It was like that first moment of pure joy crying, like, thank you so much <laughs> that I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. And then it went straight to anxiety. So, it's like when something good happens, yeah. you immediately are like, oh, but what if this is bad? Yeah. How how are you like a Buddha now? How well, to, tell me so funny. Tell me your of, way. Someone was talking to me about tweets. Like, do you ever take down a tweet that doesn't do well? And I'm like, no. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because if I think it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. And I don't care if other people don't think it's funny because it's me. And but it's because I had to fight these things. Like, I used to never post like any Insta stories, or I didn't like posting photos of myself. I just didn't want to be put out there and judged of like how I looked and stuff. I just didn't care about that. And now I like do the most ridiculous things. I've almost like gone from like, oh, this scares me. And then I literally put myself on reality TV, just like full frontal everything out there. So it's almost like you gotta just like literally let go. With my podcast and the charting, it's kind of like as long as I'm still proud of it, I don't care because deep down I know that like it will do well. And I think it's also because I know I do have some marketing around me and like mm-hmm. I have a I have a plan with it. I'm not just like throwing at the wall and praying. It's right. like I know that like if I'm myself on Summer House and I work really hard on my podcast and I continue working hard on Instagram and I keep putting 100% to all of it, I like know that it's going to go in a good direction. But also like I don't know what that direction is. And I don't give a fuck about charting. I just don't. Like who cares? Who's t- I just don't care. And I, But I know that I'm getting ratings. I like that. I like people being engaged. And like I just feel like 
But also, yeah, it's my ego's not attached to it. Yeah. That's why it's How did, did So do you think you got to that through therapy or was it really just going toward who you are? I did do therapy after my breakup. My breakup shook me because it was basically I hadn't dealt with my tennis issues. So it what came through him again, like the universe was like, you didn't, you didn't solve those issues. So we're going to put it in a human form and try to ruin your life. <laughs> and I basically like my therapist was always like, but why do you feel so much pressure to be so like successful? Why do you feel so much pressure to be so good at everything? And I, and it took me being, you know, I'm going to answer your question right now. I'm like, and now we're going to answer the question after mumbling for 40 minutes. When you hit rock bottom and you're depressed and anxious and like can't eat because you're so disturbed and like your stomach is in knots and you feel lost, I thought I, I convinced myself I lost myself. Like I had this OCD thought that like I wasn't myself and I would talk to people and be like, did I act like myself? Like I was in a psycho mode. Once I recovered from that, which was just like time and like breaking up with him and being in a healthy place again, I don't give a fuck about anything but being happy. I just want to wake up, not have an annoying boss, not have a toxic boyfriend, not have um, pressure to do things I don't want to do. I literally just want to have my cat, my studio apartment, money coming in that I can eat, good people around me, and doing what I love. And once you like really are grateful just for that, the rest, like your life is 90% just like contentment and, and like the daily bullshit and then like five percent is really 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 happy events and like five percent is really upsetting sad stuff so it's finding that like calmness of in between that you're just functioning instead of like waiting for the next high to bring you happiness it's like great it's sad but it's like i literally had to get that dark but it's also like i was facing my shit like I, I wasn't ignoring it. I was like, I'm fucked up right now. But I also never stopped getting out of bed. Like I was still going to work when I was it was like seven it was like six months of like scary depression. Yeah, and I think that there's something so powerful in what you said where you were facing yourself because there's like all this um I I produce the goop podcast. Yes. Yes. And so, Girl Boss. And Girl Boss. Yeah. Very so there's, impressive. Thank you, girl. But there's a part, uh, there's one episode I produced where this guy, Barry Michaels, came on. He talked about the personal shadow. And that's basically Ooh. everything in life we feel ashamed of, everything in life that we've repressed or we haven't dealt with. And it becomes almost like this separate person that we dissociate from. Mm. But only when you face your personal shadow can you really be your true self reduce fear or kind of get rid of it and go toward your truth. I love that so much. I was listening to this other podcast that, where this guy does numerology and I was like, I don't really understand it, but I wanted to learn about it. And he was like, your life is like a computer, like zeros and ones where you have patterns that you learn in childhood and you find yourself once you can unlearn those patterns. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that's what creativity is. Once you can unlearn like what society and people tell you how you should think and how you should be, then you find your authenticness. And like I had to unlearn that, you know, the world was a scary place that like I can't mess up or people will freak out. So I'm really curious because your dad was your tennis coach for a while, right? Mm -hmm. And I know he's very intense, I'll just say. Oh, yeah. From, from the way you've described it, he is very um, results-oriented mm -hmm. and it seemed like put a lot of pressure on you. I think he lived vicariously through me. Did like he want to be a tennis star or He always wanted to be like a basketball player and his uh -huh. dad was a basketball coach who didn't coach him. Like he had his own uh -huh. team. And my dad, I felt like, was impressing my grandpa by like having this daughter that was such a great athlete. And in a way trying to give you what he didn't have. Exactly. But yeah. like when I'd win, he would get so happy. <laughs> happy like I remember us jumping around in the parking lot I remember my first time I won a tournament how much he smiled and I immediately was like dad's happy when I win but then when I lost he would be so passionate because he'd be like mad at himself but also my dad has a side to him my dad's the funniest person in the world like he's he can light up any room he had this silly fun side that's like my best friend and then he had this like scary coach side so it was like hard for me as a kid sometimes to understand like what was unconditional and what was just based on like is Hannah winning or not so that fucked me up <laughs> so as you've gotten older and gone toward your truth and and gotten rid of those like early childhood programmings mm -hmm. how has your relationship with him changed and how do you think it's influenced him and the rest of your family that's such a great question because everyone has daddy issues 
but daddy issues are so much more complex than like the media makes it look like i'm not just like i'm daddy's girl he doesn't want me to have sex like my dad <laughs> my dad just want i realized that like this last like bit of depression i had to do some serious talking to my dad like even though we'd solved it and he'd apologized for like he regretted some of the things he'd done I literally still had to look at him and be like, I'm still messed up though. Like I'm still messed up. And like, I need to talk and talk and talk with this man for him to literally look at me and be like, you are perfect being my daughter, whatever the hell you do. And like, I needed, even though like we'd moved on, I needed to hear that from him like multiple times, but like put in the work with those people in your life and because I knew I knew it deep down, but I needed him to I almost just need him to know my pain. Like I already knew that he like regretted it and like loves me, but I needed him to know like how hurt and scared I was. And once I think he saw that, I felt like seen and understood. And like we have such an amazing relationship now and he's also like my parents are have zero involvement in this thing I'm doing. I even said to my mom, we're in LA right now. And I was like, isn't this more fun than tennis? And she just started laughing because we just did a TV spot at KTLA. And like, I had no nerves. I just was myself. I didn't ask afterwards, how'd I do? It just kind of was like, we're celebrating life. And the fact that I now have this platform means like, I want to do stuff like this where I can talk about the hardships I've gone through. Because sometimes when you're in it, if you told me that I'd be on a TV show, when I in two years, when I'm sitting in Vegas, miserable, I would be like, <laughs> that's a joke. But the world is just controlled by how creative your mind can be. Like, if you can think it, you can do it. And like, I honestly believe that wholeheartedly. And if you think it from your own authentic voice, not someone else's, it's what you're meant to do. So I want to circle back to your path and leaving Betches. It's really hard and I've definitely been in this position before where you've got your like side hustle that's really your front hustle mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. You, and your heart and you know you started growing as a talent and sometimes that isn't well received by a company you work for because it might not be in what they think is like their, their best, best interest, interest mm-hmm. for you to grow and succeed. So I'm curious for people who are in a situation like that mm-hmm. what your advice would be to them on how to get through that and be honest with themselves. It's funny because Betches was my dream job. Like I'd walk in and be like, could anything be more fun than me like writing funny scripts and filming them? And they gave me so much freedom. They were doing really well, but like nothing stays the same. And once these other opportunities came, like things got more complicated and I just never liked being in a box. And I felt like I'd hit a limit of like the opportunities that I was getting there. And it seemed like if you're not getting more money to put in more time at a company and your time is better spent doing things that help you grow, then you have to grow. And I also early on from sales, I think, (laughs) learned that like money really doesn't make me happy. And I know that I just like, I know how much money I need to sustain myself and be healthy. (laughs) And then I'm like, I just need happiness to fulfill the rest. So I had a turning point where I was like, Just because this is your dream job does not mean it's your dream job forever. And you're going to grow. Things are going to change. And that's a good thing. And don't be afraid of change. And also realize when you're not learning anymore at a company. Realize when you hit that glass ceiling. And it's not always their fault. It's just like stuff changes. Very true. And I think too, it's like you can get trapped in your dreams. Like what if you had gotten trapped in the dream of tennis just because that's what you're- I was trapped in the dream. When I was five years old, I said I want to be a professional tennis player. And at like 18, I still had that little girl's voice that I didn't want to disappoint. Yeah. Where I think with Betches and what's- I don't have a dream right now. Like right now, people are like, oh, what are you trying to do? Like I literally don't know. And I'm not lost. I just know that I'm just going to keep growing. I think- your dream that you're pursuing right now is being yourself full time. You hit the fucking nail on the head. And I think that isn't that what happiness is. And I think that everyone and everyone's selves are different. That's why the world is full of so many complex, beautiful, creative things happening. I think that five-year plans are like um, restrictive. They are. And I think it's interesting too, because people are like, be specific about what you want to manifest. You need to write it down. You need to read it. Yeah. But for you, it's like, you've clearly manifested a lot. Yeah. 
But your overarching goal, your overarching purpose is to be yourself and to make people laugh and put out good content. I mean, I was manifesting video. I didn't know that I was going to fall in love with radio. I loved that you could just walk in with no makeup and talk shit and people like, you didn't have to memorize stuff. You didn't have to write a script. You could just be and like find different people you connected with. So like your manifestation is a great starting point. But like the universe is bigger than your thoughts. So like you're, it's true. Like you have to keep your thoughts open if you want to like see how far you can go. I mean, even right now, if you're manifesting something, the, your dream job is probably not even invented in two years. Like even like how you started like your music consulting company type thing, like that's something that like people didn't even think about before. It's something probably through different connections and meeting people and opportunities, you realize there was a need that it needed to be filled. So it's like, you can't even think some of the things you're going to do. You just have to keep going. Very true. So relationships, like I know you're in a relationship with yourself right now. There's something so beautiful that you talked about on your podcast where you said, I woke up and I held my own hand, Oh my God. which like, it actually made me cry when you said that. I want to hold my hand. It was a just like crazy moment that I felt like you know, you're always trying to find someone to like understand you and be yeah. there for you. And you're like, oh, wait, I literally have myself. Yeah. Like waking up and saying hi to yourself and not being afraid of your mind. And like I was afraid of my mind for so long because my mind would fuck with me so much. So this day that I was just like, I didn't like solve anything. I just unlearned a ton of things. And I beca- like I always think your most creative, beautiful, pure self is like when you were eight, nine years old. And like trying to be in that place again. Do you remember just like walking around and the world was so simple and beautiful? Yes. That's actually where you want to be again. And that's when you're your most creative and open and like vulnerable. It's true. It's all about the inner child. And I heard something great was write down everything you want in a partner and then become that person. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I really like that. I feel like that's what you're doing. And that's also like feels like home Mm -hmm. because you're creating a space that like you're both similar in like your values and what you want and who you are. I also obviously as a tennis player who's competitive and liked winning and trophies, I would treat guys like medals. Like I would just want guys for my ego to show off. Like I wanted tall guys or athletes. And it was so fucked up because I would become obsessed with like winning guys over until finally I won the wrong guy over who fucked me up. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you though, like in moving forward, when you do decide to start pursuing a relationship, are you going to look for a fellow creative? What are the dangers in that? And how will you protect yourself from potential competition? That's a great, great question. I think it's really like when you're listening to your voices, you'll see the red flags easier. And I think it's like having, when you have a goal, again, goals fuck you up. If you have a goal to get a boyfriend, you will like think things, you'll project things and do whatever you want to make it work. But I think right now I'm in this place where I don't have any goals. So I'm not going to force anyone to work for me. And instead, like, it's either going to fall on my lap or not. And I'm in a place like I'm starting to talk to someone who's actually kind of creative and he's like really calming and he's nice. And I used to go for like loud party boys who were similar to me. And then we would just butt heads. So, but I'm not forcing anything because I have so much trust in the universe right now. I'm like, what I always like to say in relationships and I think careers is like, if it's meant to be, you can't fuck it up. If your intentions are right, as long as you're not trying to murder them or yeah. cheat on them, I think that you can't fuck it up. So no, I'm like, right. I could literally like ignore this dude for months and I think it'll still work out if he's right for me. You're absolutely right. It's like what's There's meant for you will never miss you. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think I spent so long, even with tennis, I would hold the racket really tight and I would try really hard. And they say like to actually play your best, you have to hold the racket like an egg, like not too tight that you'd break it. This is, <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it. you guys some tennis tips right now. Solid but it's like, and then to swing, you have to be loose. Your hand has to be like spaghetti to actually get power. A lot of food metaphors. I, it's a lot of Italian metaphors. <laughs> so it's like, the less effort you put in, the better the result, which like I couldn't fathom on the court because I wanted to win so hard. But that, that's also with with life. The more you force and push, kind of sometimes the universe fights back. So it's like sometimes just like let it go. And it's easier said than done. But like trying too hard sometimes means there's an issue. 
You talk a lot about anxiety and depression mm-hmm. on your podcast, in your life in general. You're really open about it. And I really appreciate that you're opening up the discussion because it's an epidemic and mm-hmm. especially creative people, we're all struggling. Well, creative yeah. people have abnormal brains. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and it makes us beautiful, but also makes us complex. Yes. So for people who are dealing with depression and anxiety, what's your advice for them on how to get through it? It's not identifying with the voices. I think that's like the number one thing. I didn't understand what the voices were. There's so many voices. There's so many voices, (laughs) but you have to really understand the which ones are your grumpy roommate and which ones are actually you. And once you're not scared of your brain, like once you don't let your mind master you, be the master of your own mind. Shoot. That's like the quote I want to like <laughs> emphasize for anxiety and depression. Because anxiety and depression is just you having a certain perspective. And if you can control your perspective on things, it's literally, you see all those, like life is so much just perspective. And even with creativity, like feeling like I can't think of anything. That's just you in your own head having a weird perspective right now. Change. Change your, you know, where you're working. Change who you're dating. Change things around to change your perspective and nothing stays the same. Like your depression right now will not feel the same as it feels tomorrow or the next month or the next month. I knew my depression was going to end and I just kept telling myself like, don't, this isn't you and this isn't you forever. This isn't you forever. Keep going. And then one day you stop trying to overcome it and it just goes away. That's such a good thing to remember. And any situation in life, good or bad, this isn't you forever, you know? And if you keep thinking about something, it really just put, puts the energy to it. Mm-hmm. So like if I was obsessing about my depression, like it wasn't going to leave. It literally left one day when I had just like got distracted and was like, I kept working. And like finally other things started to take over my life. And I stopped. It's like whether if you have like a food eating disorder, all your energy is going towards food. And then one day your energy, whether it's a different anxiety or something positive, it gets away from that thought. It's just the perspective of like you could walk every day being like, I could get hit by a car. Imagine if you thought about that all the time. You could and you shouldn't, <laughs> but that's a perspective of life. So it's like literally just telling the story you want in your head is the manifestation of like positivity. It's true. And I mean, even if you do get hit by a car, you could survive. It happened to me. It happened to me too. I got hit by a car. It makes you stronger and it's a really good party story. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're like, I don't want to get hit by a car. I'm like, well, I've done it. I've done it and you should see that car. (laughs) Um, And I'm glad you said that about the eating disorder too because it's like – that's something I also struggled with. I just listened to an interview you did with the ballerina. Her name was Katie. Katie Boren. Katie Boren. And it's like – I had to address like ballerinas and eating. I wanted her to get into it a little bit more but it seemed like she was a little – it was our first time meeting, yeah. which is sometimes you could tell in my – like most of my interviews are with people I know for a while and I'm mm-hmm. like, let's dig deep. She – I had to ask her the question. Right. And she kind of was like, everyone has some form of disordered eating. And yeah. I'm like, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's true. And it's like that's something I used to make myself throw up when I was little and then I did extreme calorie deprivation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's – anytime you have like an addictive behavior in your life, it's taking you away from your creativity. It's like – Let's distract you with this. But what would happen if you redirected that energy, just like you said? Exactly. It's like my tennis. I put all my anxiety into like my forehand. Are you putting all your anxiety into the food? It's other issues. It's like alcoholism. They're not alcoholics. They're suppressing a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that if you understand and you don't identify with like being bulimic or like being anorexic or having performance anxiety, don't identify with it. Like it's something your brain's doing, but it's, you're so much bigger than that. And everyone has it. Like I, the second episode that you should listen to, um, Jesse Jalez is an incredible comedian. She talks about her bulimia. Oh yeah. I listened to it. It, yeah. and I decided in the title that I wanted to put the word bulimia in it because nobody talks about it. And I'm 27 years old. I probably know about 20 friends that have it. Yeah. And it, it's weird because it's something that's done in secret. Like my parents didn't know about it. My friends didn't know about mm-hmm. it. It was something that I just did. And my parents didn't know until years later when I told them. The only reason I stopped was because I was a singer. I still am. Mm-hmm. And my dad said Karen Carpenter died of this and ruined her voice. I stopped dead on. I mean, creativity <gasps> pulled me out of it. Wow. Literally. But it's Jesse also said mm-hmm. – the secret made it bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're going through something, if you keep it a secret, you're putting energy towards that secret of hiding that secret. Once you tell people about it, the secret's gone and the energy that you're putting towards it is gone. Doesn't own you. 
it doesn't own you anymore and you're not ashamed of it and you're not aligning with it. Instead, it's just a thing that you're experiencing that you're telling someone about. So guys, talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah. And that's what we do. That's right. That's what we're doing here. I could literally talk to you forever, but I know you've got places to be. Mm-hmm. You're a star. Oh, stop. I, I, I'm just so proud of you. I mean, I, I feel like I've watched your journey because I started listening to you on Taylor show like a year ago and I mean, I've just seen you rise. been so weird. And, no, it's not been weird. It's been you finally stepping into who you are and I'm just like... I'm ecstatic. I look up to you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled for you. And I know that it's just going to continue because you're in the right headspace and you're a great example for all of us. Thank you. So I have two final questions. Okay. You talked about the inner child. Mm-hmm. I think creativity is directly linked to the inner child. Yes. And I think about my inner child a lot. And so I'm wondering if your little Hannah oh. was standing in front of you oh right God, now. Oh my God, stop me cry. And she was looking at you and looking at everything you're doing, everything you've done, what you've done to take care of her. What would she say to you and why? I think she would just like be so happy we're having fun. She'd be like, let's play together. Like um, she would be like, okay, we have to do a sketch. And she'd be like, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. Like she would love that I'm still fun because <laughs> you know so, so many moments when you're an adult you're like who am I this like boring mean creature and I I think that she'd look at me and be like you're my best friend and what would you say to her and why I would say you're good just the way you are and anyone that makes you feel like things are wrong things are wrong you're right Thank you, Hannah. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you so much for listening and to my guest, Hannah Burner. You can listen to Hannah's podcast, Burning in Hell, which I highly recommend on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever good podcasts are found. You can see her on Summer House Mondays at 10 p.m. Eastern time on Bravo and follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Being Burns. That's at B-E-I-N-G-B-E-R-N-Z. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's original music. Follow her at Liz Full. Thanks to Juliette Weber for her social media and production help. Follow her at Bonjour Juliette. And thank you for another great week. Follow Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram and Facebook at You Are Creative on Twitter. And you can join our Facebook community by searching Unleash Creative Community. You can follow me at Lauren LaGrasso everywhere. When I think about it, my takeaway from today is that if your soul is being called to a certain path, the call is enough. And the purer your intentions are, the more success you'll have. But it's only when you're really committed to the present moment that you'll find contentment. My wish for all of us this week, myself included, is that we can be a little bit more like Hannah, that we're able to give up everything in order to pursue our happiness, and that we can make our number one goal being ourselves and doing great work that we're proud of. I believe in us. (laughs) I'll talk with you next Tuesday. Love you.